All right, today, extremely special guests on the podcast. Very fortunate to have them both on. So we had on Steve Cook and we had on Morgan Rose Moroni, which, you know, are two of the most recognizable faces, especially on the online presence. They are two globally recognized fitness personalities. So really great conversation. We spoke about a lot. It went in a lot of different directions, but yeah, listen, enjoy, share with your friends, share with your families. And let's get into the show. Remember, today's podcast is brought to you by LSKD, a Brisbane-based clothing company that we believe aligns incredibly well with our brand. Yeah, their activewear is taken over as one of the highest quality outfits on the market. And as well as that, their casual wear is next to none. I personally lived in it while I was in the UK. It's smart, it's casual, and it's stylish. So what more could you want? So from activewear to casual wear, make sure you check them out. You will also re- receive 10% off at checkout by using the code REBUILD. And by using them, you are helping us grow this podcast. And everyone is a winner, including you, because you will look fantastic. Let's get into the show. I'm James Beatty. And I'm Sean Carroll. And welcome to the Rebuild Health and Fitness Podcast. All right, and welcome back to the Rebuild Health and Fitness Podcast. Today, special guests. So we have two globally recognized fitness personalities, and we're luckily enough to know Morgan for a while, which is, if we're honest, has led to us to pull strings to get Steve Cook on the podcast, (laughs) which he found about on Thursday. (laughs) Morgan's just mentioned passing. Oh, yeah, we're doing a podcast later on this week. I was like, what day? Friday? We're golfing that day, babe. So yeah. Saturday, so it Saturday is. We're here. Is. <laughs> and you fly back to America on Tuesday. Tuesday. Yep. So, in researching for this podcast to shape what you do, there's a lit for both of you. There's hundreds of different answers. It's amazing what you can find about you. I know what you really? I, I know what you had for breakfast this morning. Still. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, obviously, you've done a lot in your careers, achievements, businesses. So, right now, who would you say Steve Cook and Morgan Moroni are? Oh, that's a tough question. You can go first, babe. <laughs> oh. I, right now, I am a 26-year-old woman (laughs) who has, is in a long-distance relationship, (laughs) fighting the government for a visa. (laughs) Um, No, I, yeah, I, I'm kind of stepping into more of a, I think, professional role in my businesses and stuff, which is really nice. Um, expanding on business ideas and concepts that I've wanted to do for a while and finally getting to a point where I feel like all of, you know, everything that I've done leading up to this point is coming to coming to fruition, which is exciting. So I'm a very excited gal, 26-year-old gal. <sighs> 2023, big year. 2023 is going to be a huge year. I'm excited. Yeah, and I think, just to echo that, I think I'm I'm probably – where I'm at right now, I feel just, I'm beat up after COVID, after like what we've been through. I feel like I'm ready for kind of a routine in life. Mm. I'm ready to get back to kind of creating content in YouTube. I feel like I've been almost, I'll use the word burnt out. I mm. feel like, you know, when COVID kind of hit um, and we stayed at home, there's lockdowns and this and that, it kind of was the first time in 10 years I stopped doing expos, stopped doing events, stopped doing the things that um, really allowed me to grow a brand and platform. I think that I loved meeting people and then being 
being kind of uh, resorted to just tell you know just your iPhone, mm. social media, and things like that. I think that that was kind of a tough period with just what we do because I'm I'm such a people person, and I think that that was that was difficult. So I think uh, for me right now, I'm kind of looking forward to getting our lives wherever that may be australia or the u.s our business with apollo and sage um my fitness app fitness culture morgan's going to be releasing a a fitness app and getting back to some semblance of of normal whether that's here or the u.s to be seen but but getting back to you know training making videos doing what i love to do seeing people at pop-ups doing events and um just kind of, you know, spreading the good word, getting back into fitness and continuing golfing. Because there has to be a continual evolution, which we'll talk about all this, especially identity yeah. and change over periods of time. But I have had some questions from a few people from the gym. Oh, okay. One of them, we'll get this out of the way early, Morgan, before yeah, yeah. it goes into it and we'll make sure the podcast isn't around this. But You're good. the one guy, he's looking, he's like, fuck yeah, golf. So he's like, he's like, he's like, he's like, oh gosh, I can't get away. Because this guy, Brendan, he like, he plays off six in winter. Oh, that's great. So he's like, what's his handicap? And he's like, he's so big. What's his drive distance? So it's funny. He's at Wyndham. So I yeah. just, I played there. I played my, we only played nine. I played my best nine. I shot two over on the front. And then yesterday we played out at Brookwater and that was one of the hardest courses. And today I just feel I feel humbled. Yesterday, I just want, I wanted to I wanted to hand in my it was golf so clubs. So bad. Yesterday was so bad. Yeah, I wanted to really? hand in my golf clubs yeah. and just be like, I'm never touching this Not again. Bad. And and golf's one of those things that I think it is as much physical. It is like it's very physical. You know, there's timing, there's rotation, there's there's so much stuff. Um, that but then the mental side of it is is probably even bigger. Yeah, where you know you get. I'm a guy that I love thinking. Whether it's in the gym, whether it's in the kitchen, you know, I, I like having my meal plan, my workouts. I like following routine, like I was saying. And I think in golf, like I like knowing, okay, P1, P2, going through the positions where I should be at and I can overthink things. So I think that, um, you know, it's been, a, it's been good for me because it's been humbling. But um, driving distance, like if I get a hold of one, I would say like the day we played at Wyndham, I was prob- mm, probably like averaging – What's that? Three fifty? No, 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 not that far. We're talking meters or yards here too, because we got to at Tambo that big drive you did at Tambo. No, I mean like again, we can accentuate it. Two, yeah. two, two hundred eighty meters. Since we're since we're in, it's pretty far. Carry of that, yeah. So like again, it's it's good when it's good. When it's bad, I'll be in the trees though. So it doesn't yeah. matter how far you like. Yesterday at Brookwater, we used driver maybe four times the entire time because it was such a narrow course. So. Yeah. And I was just, I lost probably 12 golf balls, guys. It was an awful day. I, I've played there. Do you know, do you know the ninth that so women? so skinny. Yes. Where it yes. comes in and yeah. you go yes. back yes. in. So yes. I played there about a month ago. And I was like, I'm going to ping this. No, actually, I went, I'm going to play it soft. I was maybe like 100 yards away. Yeah. Play it soft. But I connected with something so well. So we went over. Wait, you were in Winham or Brookwater? Winham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Winham. Smashed the shed. <laughs> like the ground shed. What, you went left? Yeah. Smashed the ground shed. Yeah. Two, like, people ran. <gasps> Ran out, were just like shaking their heads like this, and I was just like, "Oh my god!" I just picked up, <laughs> oh. just went, yeah, went to the town. You know what the horrendous. funny thing is with hole nine, everyone usually shanks it right. It's so nerve wracking when so there's you people go in the water. Left. Yeah, no, that that is true. You're right. Like yeah. you have the clubhouse. You see, I on that hole, it's just there's a there's a tree behind the green. You just concentrate on that. Just block out all the noise. Because the minute in golf, the yeah. minute you're like, I can't go left. Yeah, you're gonna go left. Yeah. yeah. And there's always someone having you a fucking beer on the balcony. Always somebody watching you. Yeah, always somebody. I'm so. pretty sure when I'm on one of the holes, I've I've hit a ball and it's bounced on the road and gone yeah. disappeared somewhere after there. But 
it was it was a frightening time. I was like, oh my god. I mean, god, that's I'm the thing in golf. Someone, like, I'm gonna hit someone's house, I'm gonna hit someone's car. Yeah, as a beginner, you're gonna take some nasty divots, you're gonna tear up a course, realize that you're gonna probably, you know, hit some structures at some point, car, house, whatever. Like everyone's <laughs> everyone's everyone golfing has done that Horrendous. at some point. Yeah. yeah. If you live on the golf course, just know like that's part of living yeah. on a golf course. Yeah, I think yeah. I told you a story last time, I won't go through it, but the best advice I ever got when I was playing golf was like you're not good enough to get pissed off. And I was oh, like, oh, definitely. And, that's, <laughs> and that is actually why I was getting really pissed yeah. off because I spend so much time practicing these Steve days. Steve has reason to get yeah. pissed off. And, and so I'm like, but again, it gets down to the overthinking thing. Like, it's like mm. the more you know, the more you can get yourself in trouble. The more you know, the more you're thinking yeah. about it. And it's just like, no, I need one swing thought. I need to simplify it. And yeah, that's so where I'm It's at. supposed to be meditative, but yeah. rarely. <laughs> so both obviously built huge, huge sort of fan bases over the years. And sort of, Steve, you were sort of before... Social media. I'm not saying that you're old, but you know, before, <laughs> before, before social media. Before social media. But before social media, you obviously had quite a successful bodybuilding career after yeah. you finished a sort of a just new- different social media. It was like yeah. Facebook then, like Facebook and YouTube. MySpace. No, baby, not that old. Come on now, Bebo. Bebo. What is that? You never have Bebo. Bebo was Surely like, you had MSN, like yeah. Messenger. No, well, you are a little my bit parents, No, my parents didn't let me have it. I, used to, I didn't have it either. I used to run home from school. My mum would be on the phone. I'm like, I need the internet cable. <laughs> Drag it out, <laughs> yeah. plug it in. And then I was just on. What, Messaging your girlfriend. Pick up it's, MSN was where it was. My at. buddy would come home from school and he had like four girls he'd be talking to. <laughs> and I was just like, man, life is so much That's different in my life. house. So I was like, <laughs> I, go, I go home and my parents... Say go outside and play, and my my Lock buddy. You was, outside. Yeah, they. My buddy was just, but I guess, yeah. That's why I ended up loving the the gym because it was yeah. like <laughs> I, what you could do. I had nothing else to do. <laughs> so how did you get into bodybuilding? Obviously, you finished. You're a linebacker at now Utah Tech University. Utah Tech, good job, man. That's it wasn't Utah Tech at the it was time. Dixie was it? State, yeah. Dixie, Dixie State, yeah. and then you got into bodybuilding after that. So what was it drove you to that? I think for me, it was just a passion that I had working out for football. I would always do my you know, my strength conditioning exercises. And then you'd find me curls, you know, doing the beach body stuff. So it was, I think it was the, it was the fact that even in high school, I, I loved being strong. I loved being, um, somebody that, you know, powerful, bigger, faster, stronger. There was a documentary about that growing up. Like I, I followed Walter Payton who would go running hills. So it was the, the extra, it was like, I did it because of football, like originally to be better at sports, but I found quickly that like I liked actually just being good at exercise and fitness. And funny enough, like I actually got done playing college football, and before I jumped into bodybuilding, I was doing CrossFit. Yeah, right. For for a, a good good time, there was Meridian um, CrossFit Meridian in Idaho. Um, their their coach was an ex bodybuilder guy, and I kind I knew I kind of wanted to do both. Um, CrossFit at the time, obviously, it was like the Kalipa days. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wisconsin is where they held it at back in the day. Not great technique, that is. Yeah, no, it was. It was. <laughs> no regulation. Yeah. yeah, it was just about like, hey, what's your motor like? Yeah, and and yeah. for me, from coming from football, I kind of that resonated with me. And growing up, actually, I was fortunate enough to to our rival high school. They had like a math teacher that was a USA weightlifting coach. Like he was the man he was good so my dad would take me over there after school and i would work on some olympic lifting i never got super proficient at it i never competed at it but i was introduced at a young age to it so doing you know the cleans the snatch you know i, I got i got my weightlifting cert and that and 
liked it. You know, again, it was at least introduced to it, so I had that in in the repertoire. Um, so I did some CrossFit stuff while actually getting ready for a bodybuilding show. The day I won the bodybuilding show was a it's actually like a men's physique type show. I did like forty pull ups in the in the pull up contest. And all the other bodybuilders were like, dude, you're not like, they were all so emaciated, so wasted. Are you kipping? No, no, no. It was, <laughs> it was, it was strict. strict. It was all strict. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that was, that was, that was the big thing is that they, the guy yeah, doing yeah. the reps was, it was all strict. Yeah. So, and I was, you know, I was, the nice thing was that I'd gotten really lean, you know, I was light for me, you know, I wasn't heavy, but I was also still fairly strong and I'd had crazy amount of food that morning gearing up for so i you know i felt good mm. and just repped out won 500 bucks <laughs> for the pull-ups and i was like hey i, I like being both so. yeah yeah it's really interesting because you did you were quite you were in the top 10 in mr olympia yeah top. yeah yeah i was the so i did i, was I the, honestly didn't even know that i was going to tell you everything about your husband <laughs> Thank so. you. i was i was the <laughs> this is very insightful the third men's, men's physique pro before men's physique was even around the muscle and fitness male model search it was a contest i won that kind of started men's physique the category itself and then once men's physique came out um yeah i, I won the first pro show that qualified me for the first olympia so i did the first two olympias did okay in them, but yeah. it was one of those things that I kind of hadn't lost a show really mm. up until that point. So when I lost the Mr. Olympia show, I was just kind of like, you know, like why, like what, what, why am I putting so much time and effort yeah. into something that's so subjective that is, it's really, it was difficult for me. Cause you always say with, with sort of CrossFit, when they're competing at the games, for example, or in competition, they're feeling their best, right? Where, when you are looking your best in bodybuilding, you're feeling your yeah, feel, you're feeling yeah. your worst, and you probably you felt both sides of that. Yeah, as and well. I, and I think I tried to pride myself on like when I would prep for a show, I didn't do crazy drastic things. Like if you look at the bodybuilding community, the world, like again, you think about there's diuretics that those guys take mm. on stage, and and when I was competing, so before I did men's physique, I did natural bodybuilding, so the NGA, um, and that was you got drug tested, you peed in the cup, or you did a polygraph test. Yeah, I heard about it. Yeah, right. yeah, and so it was one of those things that I, that was kind of cool to to be a part of that and to do that, and, and and to really that's where you learn so much about like natural bodybuilders don't get enough credit mm. um, because they are the ones that really learn so much about the body peak week even mm. now, Mister Olympia that's a whole another conversation about you know performance enhancement drugs and everything that goes on there. It's in a different category all to of it's all you know it's a you can't compare the two they're two totally different sports in my yeah. opinion basically yeah. but there they're just taking you know different things but still i still think the leanest driest guys i've ever seen are natural bodybuilders on stage have you ever seen generation iron three yeah. it was funny on that because you have a look at these men's physique because they wear board shorts yeah. and like from where i am i'm going these guys are in incredible shape but then you've got all these bodybuilders going these guys don't even lift yeah. <laughs> like, they shouldn't even be bodybuilders uh, and that's and that's and it's it was so crazy because that's like i was a I was a pro natural bodybuilder. Mm. Uh, you know, I was a big natural bodybuilder at, you know, 205 pounds on stage, but going to Mr. Olympia competing, it was like, oh, these men's bikini is what they mm. kept calling it. <laughs> <laughs> Which was funny because again, like these, these guys yeah. just like, dude, you're, you know, you're 200 and whatever, yeah. but you're, you're just so unhealthy. You're, you can't wipe your ass. Yeah. You're, and, and again, literally, it, yeah, yeah. 100%. Like I just remember looking at Branch Warren, guy that you know had one of the grainiest gnarliest like if he was a natural bodybuilder he would never have won anything because mm. he didn't have pretty muscle bellies it wasn't good insertions but he just was a guy that was like 
I'm going to take copious amounts mm. of, of performance enhancements. I'm going to train my butt off and I'm going to come in with a package that just looks freaky. Yeah. And that's what you get at the Mr. Olympia contest. You get freaky, f- freaky physiques. And it's only getting freakier. But can you just turn yeah. that fan down a little bit? This one. So talk. Was, oh, sorry. I was just going to say, I was listening to you on um, Ross Edgley's podcast, yeah. like a what, uh, probably a few years ago now. Um, and you're speaking about like post show, you'd almost have like these binge eating oh, yeah. episodes. Yeah. Like when did you start to realize like that was becoming a bit of a problem? Because it is an like, eating disorder, really. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. it is quite common for yeah. you know, bodybuilders and fighters. Like I've heard a few fighters speak yes. about it after like. After they fight, they just go like on these like Patty Pimblet. Yep. A few you others see that like, guy? Yeah. Bulk, he just blows up. He he really does have that yo-yo dieting like a like a competitor does, and and it's interesting because you see it with bodybuilders, and it's like oh he's bulking. Mm. But nah. that doesn't excuse the fact that like what you're doing is isn't really healthy. It's not good for your heart. It's not good for yeah. your cardiovascular system. All all of that. When women do it, you know, when you see a girl who's 105 pounds or 110, we'll say she's 50 kgs because we're in Australia. She's 50 kgs on on stage. If she puts on five kg in a week, you're gonna see it, and yeah. people are gonna be like, "Oh my gosh!" With bodybuilders, they just wear bigger hoodies, they cover mm. up, and things like that. But I definitely think it's something that you know. I went through that. I went again. Yeah. Your body wants to. It wants to to really swing, you know. You've been in this caloric deficit for so long, so I think there are some good coaches out there. You know, Lane Norton was always one talking about reverse dieting and yeah. how that's super important to do. Um, but then it's also, I think, the the biggest thing you don't see a lot of competitors um, have is a goal that's based in performance rather than looks. Like yeah. you've just been focusing sixteen weeks on how you look, getting into the best shape of your life to look a certain way. Afterwards, you're never going to attain what you yeah. just did on stage. So have a performance goal. And that's yeah. kind of where afterwards I was always different than other bodybuilders. Like I would always try to go do a tough mutter or a sparring right. race or just do so a half marathon. So I, I probably didn't you know, I wasn't a good bodybuilder because I didn't take that time and bulk up and 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 I wanted to change up my my focus on something. Do you reckon there's like a, I heard um, the fight dietitian talk about like a deficit bank? Like when you go through these huge sort of deficits mm. to create huge weight loss, like your physiology wants to get back to where it was. So 100%. you're just creating these banks, and that's why they reckon with Paddy. They reckon he doesn't actually gain that. He gains a lot of it around his fat. But see, if he's created a deficit of a hundred thousand calories, yep. his body's going to do everything to get that back as fast as it can. But again, so it, can't, it can't handle that in one load, right? Which is why you were sort of reversed yeah. that out. And, and then not to mention, just like, again, the level of carbohydrates that's going to bring water mm. into the cell as well. And then you're just going to look puffy. So yeah. how much of it is really fat? Like, yeah. you know, that was always the thing. Like, I would gain sometimes 12 pounds in a week. It wasn't 12 pounds of fat. There was so much water yeah. weight, salt, sodium that was, you, you're just puffy. It'd be very little fat. Yeah. Very little fat. So if we talk genetics, and this sort of goes both of you, sort of nature v. nurture. So... Obviously, there has to be a genetic element to most things, especially in sort of sport, bodybuilding, sort of gymnastics, anything. There has to be, right? Um, but then we have to obviously work hard in sort of what they do. So I read some stuff about like you used to, dad used to make you do things like push-ups in your sort of commercial breaks when you were a kid. And correct me if I'm wrong, right? What could you bench when you were in grade six? About 225. It's fucking Jesus wild. Christ. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, my, my, and that, that was why, again, like it was so easy for me. It, it was... It was one of those things that I love lifting weights. I, I love being that strong kid. Like, like, oh, you know, we need someone to go move that hay bale. And I was like, well, I'll do it. Like, kind of an ego thing. But it was like, it was cool to be strong. Like, growing up watching Sylvester Stallone, Jean-Claude Van Damme, you know, Rocky and this and that. It was like, okay, it was, it was cool to be strong. And, and so I think that 
that from an early age, I definitely liked the push-ups during commercials and things like that. Yeah, because some people would like that. Some people would. Yes. Would, my, my brothers would and sisters that. hated that. So obviously you could build muscle quite naturally. So mm-hmm. obviously let's say nature is sort of God's gift. What you sort of have and then nurture is sort of something you have to go, but you have to sort of understand. So how is it important is it in both areas to have both? Because again, a lot of people will just think, I just need to work hard and I'll get there. It's like, there's an element of that and you should never sort of put a cap on on where you get to, yep. but that nature sort of versus that nurture. Do you want to answer this? I mean, I, I have a very clear cut idea. I mean, I, uh, from the last podcast, remember I mentioned Ross Edgley's quote in his book that's training is the realize of one's genetic potential. Yeah. is like the training and the commitment to that is obviously the nurture. Mm. The nature is your genetic potential. Mm. So it's like a combination of those both. They're just as important as the other. But I do think genetics is such a, a thing that isn't spoken about as often as it should be. Mm. Like my parents, I, I have great genetics because of my parents. In but great genetics sport, for what? Yeah. yeah. In regards to sport and movement. Mm. Um, but, you know, the nurture has been what it specifically pertains to is I got into gymnastics. Neither of my parents ever did gymnastics. Mm. I wasn't built for gymnastics. I was built for movement. Yeah. So it's kind of like, uh, it's just a combination of both, I think. And they're just as important as each other. Yeah. I think, especially as you get more specialized, we we could literally look at climbing mountains and like, you know, as you get, as you get higher and higher in elevation, there's people that their bodies, Sherpas in Nepal, like they, they're able to genetically, they're just, different through evolution of yep. where they live they're going to be better at that jamaicans and sprinting like mm. as you get better and better to that peak of, of finding who's the best in that field genetics are going to play a role because everyone at some point they're going to be working hard you know everyone who goes to the olympics is going to be working hard yeah. and has done so for years and years, right. and years. Mm. michael phelps another great example he has a great swimmer's body so it's, it's going to be the nba you don't see many many yeah. small kids you know five foot ten dudes in the nba for a reason yeah well this is that swimmer analogy right you don't sort of i can't just start swimming and get a body like a swimmer right. they swim because they ha- they look like that yes. yeah. the main body you might bodybuild because, because you have them. this natural yeah. thing right. you have this natural mobility which will lead you into to something else 100 percent. yep that, that, that's i mean that's phil heath in bodybuilding his muscle bellies are just so round like that's for sure the guy's jacked but then also like as you get older i guess and more sort of towards that peak like your maintenance volume i think people don't understand like how easy it is to maintain mm-hmm. like once you've actually put in that work yeah. right you know you probably have to do very minimal sort of stretching to maintain flexibility Definitely. same as muscle mass right the volume that you need to lift to maintain muscle mass is quite low does that allow you sort of more time now, I guess, to do more things? You yeah. I, I definitely think that, that that maintenance is, it's again, it's so much easier to stay in shape than to get in shape. Mm. Yeah. If, if you've ever been out of shape and, and got back into shape, you realize that like you can, you can do, even, even traveling the world, it's like if I can just maintain 30 to 45 minutes of solid work, I'm going to be in such a better spot. And it, it's just crazy how fast you lose it as well. But it is it is amazing that once you've put on the muscle or once you've, you know, once you are able to, even I think it's if you're a great runner or a great gymnast, mm-hmm. like it, you have that muscle memory, we'll call it that, or you have, you know, you have that, that neuromuscular and, and you're able to perform a lot of what you did on, on minimal training. Yeah. It's wild. You see, you see it all the time with like when, as people come into this gym and they're like, 
we find out about their backgrounds and they've played high level sport before and like they haven't lifted in years and then within two three weeks they're they're shifting phenomenal amounts of weight yeah it's like fuck you haven't you haven't skipped a beat and you're like yeah i feel amazing it's just like the good old days yeah it's yeah. so it's so true it, it is and that's why i think if i could if i could you know build a perfect athlete as a kid like you know my my dad you know he cared about he'd take us to the track we'd work mm. out i'd do push-ups i think gymnastics for yeah. kids you know before i touched weights early on like i was big in, into that but i think getting kids to just be able to a body weight stuff yeah. and mo- flexibility and mobility and then i think you know, soccer or here in Australia, I think f- footy because it is a full body. You're kicking. You're you're catching. AFL footy, oh, not rugby yeah. footy. We don't talk about AFL. Yeah, but even, we're just even, about rugby. I mean, yeah. even, even, even rugby to yeah. a certain point. Like there's there, only there's, certain players that kick in rugby. Yeah, that's true. But like in a, in a, oh, a <laughs> I, I will say, I would rather have a kid do AFL. <laughs> Only because I do think that there is a little bit. There's every, more to it. Everyone is brainwashed. I get it. And, yeah, it's true. <laughs> oh my god! Seriously, <laughs> you can't say that rugby I mean, players we, do more than AFL. No, I'm from running, the running UK. Wise. Yeah, yeah. I'm from the UK. They so. don't do. They rugby players don't run as much as AFL players. No, no. He's, he's so, saying AFL. Not as much running as yeah. AFL players. Oh, gotcha. Players. No, but, but I, even I also skill. think. But. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> to Morgan's defense, so, I'll say you, this: you tackle, catch, handball, dribble. AFL don't yeah. really tackle. Yes, they do. Mm, Are I remember, you serious? I, well, right I now? remember when I got into Not Australia, they don't right? Run head first right. into people. When I got to Australia, right, there was this game called AFL, and I was like, "What's this game?" Everyone's too tall, so I'm not going to play it. And <laughs> it's one on one tackle. And then I typed in AFL's greatest hits, and I was yeah. like, "Yeah." Get away from me. I don't want these aren't hits. Oh They're not hits. I, I will agree I could, with that. I could <laughs> yeah. I, I'll fight I, all three of you. No, here's the thing. It, it is. It is less. It, it, just like I would say. Yeah, because it's more skill. Hold on a second. Let me just finish this. <laughs> let, me, let me just finish this. Okay. When you get more into open area tackling, you're going to have less head-to-head collision. And I'll even say this from rugby to American football, because you have the padding, because you have the helmets, people are doing even more dangerous collisions in in U.S. football. Yeah, now you'll get, you'll get, you'll get yeah. a, I don't think the hits are as big. Yeah, and in, that's what in we're in saying. AFL as, but you cannot say that you need more skill to play rugby than you need skill it's to play AFL. It's a different skill set. It's a different skill set. Yeah, there's multiple in AFL. And, that, and that's what I was going to say with <laughs> you AFL. You just need to be able no, to run talking, and find you, space we're, we're in not rugby. Talk, we're not talking rugby league. We're talking rugby union. Yeah. Oh, okay, oh, a yeah. little yeah, bit yeah. different. No, rugby league can get out the door. That can come in the bottom of the pile. Yeah, that's just a bunch of people running into each other. Don't worry about that. No, rugby. Yeah, we what I, I have trained both, and what I, what I did think with, with AFL stuff was that it was very multifaceted, where I'm sure when you get to the specifics of things, I guess in rugby, in, in AFL... That's my point. No, but what I was going to say, like in American <laughs> football, you can have just a, a big lineman whose one job is just to do yeah, that. Yeah, true. I think what I'm saying is, is in rugby union, you, ha- you still have some big guys that their main job is yeah. just to do X, Y, Z. Bull carry, hit rucks. Yep. Yes. Yeah, I get it. In AFL, there's there's the everyone cert- does the same shit. Yeah, that's why it's not that hard because <laughs> everyone can just do the same. You need thing. to find like eighteen players that, that can to be, all to be kick, set, throw. To be honest, I if I was in Australia, I'd probably do rugby. Well, union. I'm like five nine, and my wife is like five one. So <laughs> AFL is out. Gymnastics is also out. So I know why Tom, is gymnastics well, out? Yeah. You be perfect it's for it. out until a certain age gotcha. because yeah, Tom Pinchner, who won a Commonwealth gold medal for mm-hmm. Australia. Like I remember speaking to him years ago, and he, it does stun your growth. Oh like yeah, for, for sure. After a while, and I can't, I can't be affording stuff like that. 
I can't be a fourth. My kids to stunt growth. And you know, I, I had always... They need the growth. Yeah, they need all the growth they can. <laughs> Growing up, I always heard, oh, he's lifting early. Because I, I yeah, yeah. Yeah. it'll stunt your growth. And I, I was like, myth, 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 myth. But uh, Huberman, his podcast, um, do you guys yeah, listen to him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, talked about what happens and, and why actually that can be true if you train a certain way. Yeah. Um, which blew my mind. I was like, goodness gracious, I, that's actually crazy. And I'd have to look at why exactly I did it if it was a, a certain hormone. I don't know if you guys listened to that one, but it was actually talking about how lifting too early, mm. doing certain exercises, maybe it was just heavy compound lifting. I think it's heavy. With growth plates yeah. or, or even there might have been a hormone release. I don't know. Yeah. I think it's like pure strength training, like going yes. for ones, going yes. for like maximum mm. repetition. But like most of the research looks away from that. You see the right. Australian strength coach, his daughter's like 12 and just lifting phenomenally right now. Mm. But by the time she's done... Same as yourself, six, seven years of training. When yep. everyone's starting to train, you have so much more volume yep. banked up. Like, what's the what's the detriment? I reckon there's right. so much more positive towards. I it agree with that. Definitely. Definitely. Just so yeah. in gymnastics, though, is the is the stunting the growth obviously just delayed puberty because of low body fat in girls and things like that? Like, I think it is. I, I, you know, this is just purely speculation, but I think it can be. They do so much volume, and I just don't think like their energy needs are being met. Because my um, I think it was the landing. It can could be the that as well. Landing. But like my my niece is sort of a, an elite level gymnast down in Melbourne. She's doing like they train like f- four yeah. or five hours a day, and she's ten years old. Yeah, mm. that was you. And yeah, yeah they you know they're at school. You know they get what they get in their lunchbox, and they they can just go all day, go all day, well, and they only get. Pack- Sorry, we used to pack three lunches. Yeah. I used to have three lunch. Well, not three lunches, but I'd have three lunch boxes in my bag yeah. because I'd have the food that I ate between school and training, and then the food that I ate before school, after training. Because I also did swimming. But the majority don't. Yeah. No, we've dealt with loads of yeah, kids. Yeah, you're they right. They're, they're they, they, and they have an up and go before, and then they're they're up. Yeah. It might be yeah. just enough to get them get them through it, mm-hmm. not enough to thrive and right. grow further. Yep. That is interesting. Yeah, I agree. I um. I was so small, like so small when I was in gymnastics until I hit puberty, which wasn't until I was like 17, 18. Yeah. And then that was at the same time that I stopped doing gymnastics and hitting puberty and quitting gymnastics, I then grew. But I had Mm. not grown from like 17, from like 12 to 17. I didn't grow at all. I didn't even gain fat I didn't have boobs. I didn't have anything. Nothing happened to me to grow. And then the minute that I stopped that crazy intense training but also hit puberty, Mm. then I grew into, I guess, what I am now, like the the build that I am now. And I felt like it was put off because of puberty and I felt like it was put off Mm. because of training. And and I think that that is already – what is proven definitely is that girls start – girls enter puberty earlier with higher levels of body fat. Yes. So if you yeah, have, yeah, yeah. if you're, a I mean, kid, there's kids that are getting it at 11 yes, years old because of, and and, and obviously, you know, the estrogens that we yeah. consume and things like that, yeah, yeah. all those things that I think play a factor in it. You know, the chicken we eat and the plastics. I don't know. That's a that's probably a different podcast <laughs> yeah. altogether. Just while um while we're talking about sport, I was having this conversation with James the other day. Like you've both been heavily involved in team sports for the majority of your lives what do you think some of the lessons you've taken from that and applied it to like you know your personal life your business life because I think one of my biggest lessons was and and became really clear when I thought about it was I never learnt like that losing was an option with business it was just always like finding a way to win because you never went into a game being like okay we're going to go out there and lose today even if you were the underdogs you're like Mm. we're going to you know, 
Right. Someone's, and even, got, someone's you, got to beat them. Even if you did lose, you would then find a way to rectify why you lost. You yeah. wouldn't give up. You'd keep going. I think that's what we have in today's society. Kids that, that don't grow up playing team sports or have any adversity, the first sign of adversity that they come that across, they're going just, wrong. Yeah. they kind of just quit. They're like, mm-hmm. ah, I don't want a part of that. But with sports, you learn how to lose. Like, Learning to win is great. Like, don't get me wrong. I think winning is... You have to lose. Yeah, but without losing, you don't learn how to eventually push through and, yeah. and overcome things. In yeah. in Sydney, my, we were talking, just got back from holiday, I told my cousin, his his son's seven, and they, they've just played their full season, first season rugby league, contact, you know, winning, mm. losing, all that kind of stuff. New seven real, years old. Seven years old. Coming full in this year. Full contact rugby. Oh, it's like, not like... Um, proper tackle yeah, yeah, they're yeah. not like really strong enough they're just they going cuddle. for it at least it's not touch we're a little, bit, now, a little bit braver in rugby union <laughs> <laughs> but now they're getting rid of that till under 13s plus they're not recording wins and losses yeah. till they're 13 oh I don't like the wins and losses I uh, don't mind the, the full contact thing yeah the wins and losses the but like participation people are gonna, trophies like 13 you know when people win and lose it's really obvious oh definitely right. Even the wins and losses for sure but the thing that I'm thinking of for that contact the reason why I'm, I'm fine with it being till 12 is that you see these kids out there and there's a 7 year old and then there's a supposedly 7 year old that's also looks like he's 12 and the he's Samoan tackling kid? something yeah, yeah. <laughs> especially because in the UK yeah. it's big but like in Australia yeah, like, yeah. definitely the, the you have such a big difference in size again me growing up as a gymnast I was tiny puny and my girlfriends would double my height, yeah. double my width, double my weight, and they're the same yeah. age as me. Because this guy, he plays for the Reds now in Australia, Daniela Tupo, yeah. Yeah. like the Tongan Thor. Yeah. He was yeah. like, when he was like 15, he was like 140 kilos and could run like a, like a 12 second. Like crazy. 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 Like how you get size, yeah. size matters. I remember going yeah, out definitely. to that point. Logan home on a Friday night when I was playing under 10s. <laughs> and I would have been like 30 kilos. Yeah. And they were all. Little string bean. Massive. They were yeah. like. They're big boys. They're big boys. It was yeah. a bad. It was a bad night. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll let you know how I feel about contact sports in ten years if I have CTS or not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, honestly, from all, yeah. From all, there's from so all the much years. stuff and that's, coming out. When I was a kid, like I, I can, rem- I can remember being in eighth grade getting my first concussion. Yeah. Just completely. Yeah. Just yeah. We were in practice, and I was a running back, and the other, I would say, the two best in kids. Practice. Yeah. Mm. So we had a drill where you would goal line drill where you would just two guys would just run. Head first, and that's the thing yeah. about uh, the thing about U.S. football is for the longest time I was told to tackle someone, put my nose in their chest. Yeah, mental. That is what? so bad. Like, yeah, put your nose, put your face mask right in the guy's chest. How much neck and brain mm. trauma are you going to experience? Let alone the that? guy taking it as well. Yeah, you're not too worried because you got you got pads oh, and padding, things like that. Yeah. But what would happen is if if someone's coming in and I'm the ball carrier, I'm going to lower my head. So all you're now you're getting is just mm. head on, head on. And that's what happened in this yeah. drill. It was head on, head on. Both of us just out. I, so I can just remember, you know, waking up on the ground. Yeah. The kid had the same thing. We were both done for practice, Fuck. but we were we were both big kids at the time. So coach wanted to see, yeah. you know, and it was just kind of like thinking about that now. I'm like, if that was my kid, I would not be happy. Yeah. You see that in every fil- American football out. film, that, yeah. that exact drill. Yeah. Like it's, you see that all the time. The Oklahoma drill. In England, in the UK, see it come out this morning where they're trying to get the tackle <laughs> waist height. Only tackling, but mm. then they reckon like they've tried it in other countries and it actually gets more concussions because tackling is about sort of if someone moves, you have to be able to adapt to them. And then hit, that's where you, s- yes. So if you're just saying everyone has to tackle the same way, that's when you're going to have issues. It's true. You, you start thinking about things. I do, I do think that they, they've done a good job, some, some places in the US, bringing actually rugby people in to mm. teach proper tackling with your shoulder. Mm. 
Um, I think that I'd much rather have have to have shoulder surgery yeah. at the end of at the end of my playing career mm. than than CT. Well, the one CTS. thing you taught in rugby is they can't run without their legs, so yeah. you'd always go for the legs. Go for the legs, yeah. Which you is fine that? unless you're tackling Jonah Loma or <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody was just who's you just dive on the floor and <laughs> yeah. go, ah, I missed it. <laughs> I would always tackle big guys, and I would always. And I remember getting told off at East about it, like they would run at me, and I would always let them pass me by about you know like side on, yeah. and then I would go from the yeah, side because yeah, why okay. am I going to put my head down right. in this losing battle yeah. do you know what I mean I'm going to come off second and as best. a ball carrier that's what I played in high school I was a running back so I, I, and I was I was big I was 210 pounds and my favorite thing to do was just run over people but the ones that the kids that actually would come up and just take out my knees there's nothing you can do because you can't lean over far enough to you know if I'm leaning <laughs> over that far I'm going down yeah, as well yeah, so yeah. those are the types of tackles I, I always hated the most too because at the end of the one day one. your knees are sore yeah. from yeah. just people coming and chopping you out and nowadays you see people trying to hurdle everyone in the NFL yeah. now if like someone comes in low it's cool hurdling though. yeah it's crazy when that happens <laughs> uh, they're, the, they're phenomenal athletes it's wild like all the changes these sports are making to protect from brain injuries yeah. and then power slaps now thing yeah. people stand in front of each other and just go it wasn't bang, trying to knock each other out it, it, that's, that's a good a thing. that's a good thing uh, that's a good question like wait a minute why is that why is that game <laughs> why is that affecting yeah I have a real quick question though come on because I always love talking about the U.S. not being good at rugby, just like you know. Again, rugby. I reckon they'll be. What, I reckon they will be really eventually good in about ten yeah. years. Yeah, because I to be. I was saying, like, I always say this: the amount of people, the amount of athletes we have playing just football, like mm. because everyone, if you're a good athlete, if you're fast and you like hitting, it's football. But if we just took the even even kids that didn't love hitting and just put them in straight into yep. soccer right away, or put them into rugby. Like there's just so many freak athletes in the U.S. that I feel yeah. like eventually it has to come and be decent. I know sevens, they're okay. Yeah, well, yeah they're stick really decent. Fast in sevens, though. You had that yeah. like hundred meter sprinter, and yeah. you stick him on the wing. And it's like, well, you can't catch speed. There's no right. replacement speed for kills. speed. Yeah, speed yeah. kills, and that's where it's like Tyreek Hill played for the Chiefs. Now is with the Dolphins. His hundred, his two hundred meter time in high school was the sixth fastest in the world that year. Wild, yeah, and, and of course he's not going to yeah. go on to be an Olympic sprinter because the NFL is paying him ten million dollars yeah, a year. Yeah, yeah. So, but. I think I think the biggest problem with the states and rugby is they get players who didn't make it in the NFL, yeah. so they're picking them up when they're what eighteen, nineteen, yes. twenty, and they're Too they're going to be up against it against guys who've been playing it their their whole oh, lives, but. They've got a professional league over yeah. there now, developing like it looks getting so the players earlier. Like it looks so fun. We had a lot of Australian rugby players, like legends. Remember, they went mm. over and played for the Guiltinis last yeah. year. They just look because they were just amazing rugby players. So they just tore up. They won everything, and they yes. were just like the. It looked like the best weird time ever. <laughs> so before we go a little bit deeper into sort of content, and just probably just from what we spoke about, we've all sort of played sport. And then that sport had to end. How did you find that sort of transition out of it? Because I know for me and Sean, we struggled with it because we'd trained for rugby our whole life. And now rugby is in a whim is over. And now I'm just in the gym going, fuck. Yeah. All right. Like, <laughs> you know, what's next? Did you have the same feeling or effect or were you? Yeah, I definitely did. Um, but that's when I went into AFL. So I just kind of put my time and effort into something mm. else, a different sport. So but, you, you went straight into AFL? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I literally quit gymnastics in the next term. I was in AFL and I literally just did a school. Yeah. I did a school contest, a, a school comp. And then I got into the Brisbane team. Then I got into the Queensland team. And it was just because my dad had played professionally and I grew up with the sport. And I just went straight to. Plus you could be able to jump up very the high. Top that kind age. of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I More could. Than, I actually oh, had one of the mm. highest jump tests in mm. Queensland of all the AFL girls. 
even the rocks. Yeah. Like I was so uh, – I was the jumping shrimp. <laughs> <laughs> That's what her dad called her. Really? Yeah, yeah the jumping shrimp. Because I do like I long do, jump, high jump. I yeah. did all those because I just had such good – yeah, yeah. Basis from gymnastics. I'm going to take a minute and brag about my wife. I oh, do honestly, think, yeah. I'll listen. <laughs> I do think Morgan, pound for pound, is probably the best athlete. Like, again, not even in the fact that I can take a football, we can go throw it. We can take a basketball and she'll pick it up. And I think mm-hmm. that that gymnast with body awareness and then the fact that her dad was such a great AFL player and taught her early on how to catch, how to kick, how to yeah, run. Coordination. Um, and then in track and field, you had your field day. You were the best in your school. And yeah, that. I was, I was the, um, what do you call them? The age athletic. What? Age champ. Age champ. I was age champ every year of my high school. Boom. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a, cause you're super competitive and hate losing. Oh, yeah. But then I just, I do again, back to that oh, yeah, yeah. nature versus nurture. I think that there, you have both of those things. You have the competitive drive, but you also have a, a, a solid athletic ability in, in a lot of things that, that stems from, you know, genetics, but it, it kind of pisses me off. Cause I, I was voted like most athletic in my yeah, high yeah. school, but then when Morgan hangs with me on stuff, yeah. like even in golf, because of her mobility, the her range I've her seen her shoulder go up. Yeah. It noise. Yeah. I get that. So I'm, I'm like this. Bent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just, I don't, I can't disconnect my hips from yeah. my upper body. She can do a great job of that. So there are times that I'm like, well, body awareness is so important. So important. It's massive. Right? It's and you know what? I've never realized how important until I got older. Yeah. And then I've realized how big of a role it plays in everything. Just like, hey, go jump off that cliff. Yeah. Like, in, into the water. I know how to do it. I know <laughs> yeah. how to tie yeah. the salt to land into that cliff without yeah. even knowing how high it is. So, yeah, you're more of the danger. I saw you did that bungee. You weren't that keen on that bungee. Nah, you know, it wasn't bad once I did it. But, <laughs> but I like, drag him along yeah, and he no. becomes an adrenaline junkie. <laughs> well, I was always an adrenaline junkie. Like, I remember, like, I I would jump off bleachers when I was a kid and, like, bruise my head bruise my heel like my dad was coaching. I'm a safe adrenaline junkie just so we know <laughs> but like Morgan is like yeah I'm like okay she did that okay I want to try it and I learned yeah, the yeah. hard way it's a belly flop it's it's something you know I'll I'll I can backflip it's just not pretty either so you get style points too yeah I've seen that, <laughs> I saw that gymnastics video that you did a while ago your mobility was your flexibility was quite good where you like what one was it? on the yeah like, yeah the poles in England, and then, like you in inverted inside yeah. out oh yeah. yeah oh yeah yeah I there's areas I have decent mobility. Steve's like, actually really mobile in his hammies. Hamstrings, lower back, I'm fine. Like touches the quads, easy. hips, not so much. Yeah. Like I, I really don't have. And back, my, your my back hip. is not flexible. No, I would say my back isn't flexible because I have tight quads and yeah. hamstrings. My yeah. lower back is because in. I can. That's hamstrings and lower back. But it's always hard when you're comparing yourself to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's always the difficult. Yeah, thing. <laughs> yeah. Sean needs loads the of operations. So I, compare my, I can compare <laughs> yeah. my flexibility. So obviously. Huge online, like huge online presence. I think combined just on Instagram and YouTube, you have just under five mil, which I worked out is selling out the Suncourt Stadium 96 times. Is that ever oh, comprehensible? Wow. <laughs> like how many people? It's a lot of people. Like have eyes hey. on you? 96 times. I mean, when you put it that way, it's wild. I, I'm, I'm just a cynic. You- I'm always like, how much? How many of those are bots or how many of those are... <laughs> even active anymore so i i always am like i downplay it i used to well, think youtube's 1.2 mil yeah that's really true on that yet. yeah I, I used to think that you know like i i, I remember being at a at a football game and there's like 80,000 I was like I think it was at the time where my yeah. Instagram was 80,000 I was like that is wild I think yeah. early on when you can really quantify that I can't really quantify yeah. in my head like you know I've never been around a million people in one spot so but it, it is wild when you think about that I guess so and is it you, I this was quite funny. So I don't want to laugh in case it is still true. Oh, geez. <laughs> but it says you built yourself a fan base, um, which called themselves the Swolger Nation. Swolger Nation. Is this, Swolger is this Nation still a thing? Is, 
It is. It's 100%. Like the, the, the Swolger crew. It's it actually It actually stems from my good friends, my good family friends, the Oars. Yeah. Taylor. Yeah. It was like a cool high school. He's like, what's up, Swolger? <laughs> so yeah. it was well, like, <laughs> it was like, it was like, uh, it kind of stemmed from that. It kind of, I'm trying to think of like something you'd call your, your meathead buddy or Jim. Like it was kind of like a rallying. Swole would be, yeah. Yeah, it was kind of like a, a rallying cry for like, you know, meatheads that, that wanted to have a cool name. So yeah, the Swolgers. It was it was a thing. Swolgers. But I think people also connect Swolger Nation to what you're doing at the time. Your big man on yeah. campus yep. um, programs. Your bodybuilding phase. People seeing you and idolizing it's you. It's marketable. Like, it's more. I think Swolger Nation is more about that time in his life and the time in the fitness industry than it is just the name or yeah. the you know. And I actually stopped kind of running with it. Um, I had so many guys in the fitness industry that were kind of a like older guys that were somewhat popular that just hated it. Mm. It just, I think it was because it's a little cheesy. It's a little bit like I always tell people Instagram, when you look at the fitness industry in whole, like I, I would like to be someone that, you know, I call it like the baby food. You give people applesauce, you give a baby applesauce with the peas and carrots and everything mixed in. So you have to give them the body. Like yeah. you, you have the pictures all oh, ripped up, but hopefully in your messaging, when people really get to know you, when they meet you, there's that real bit of information or there's that yeah. real the side where people can connect mm-hmm. and that's the peas and carrots and things like that. Mm-hmm. So Swolger Nation was, you know, kind of the, the applesauce cheesy, you know, like. But it just stand out. When I read it, I was like, yeah. really? That's like, but it is, it's markable, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, we did. And like, people like to feel a part of something. Yeah. And that's, Definitely. I think that's kind of that's what it was. Nation. It was like, so it was, it was, it was actually crazy when, when I was, you know, I'd go to, I'd go to comps and expos all around, all around the world i'd always spot a couple soldier shirts and it was always always kind of weird to see that like go to malaysia yeah and there'd be soldier shirts maybe we're just jealous no one's ever called me swole yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what it is it's kind of a cool name so when did you realize that sort of pursuing like fitness was like a career in terms of like an online presence and because obviously you a little bit of a different area. I was about 10 years later. <laughs> yeah. Well, and like, how did it change things for you? Because I can imagine you enjoy it, you're bodybuilding, you start creating content, you do gymnastics, you start creating content, and then it starts to just yeah. ripple mm. effect. And it's like, shit, this is actually my job Feasible. now yeah. to some extent. And it really wasn't that way 10, 12 years ago. Yeah. So I can remember being, I won a couple, the male, Muslim Fitness Male Model Search, the bodybuilding.com spokesmodel search. Neither one of those things paid me mm. anything. It was like, hey, we'll give you free supplements. And then eventually it was like, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll send you on trips all over the world. And I remember doing a photo shoot around the same time with a photographer that had been in the industry in LA for a long time. He'd been muscle and fitness. He'd, he'd done all these photo shoots. And he said to me at the end, he's like, you know, there's, real, there's really not any money in the sport of bodybuilding. Like the top mm. bodybuilders get paid, but you don't want to be a bodybuilder. And this is right at the time that social media was coming out. Instagram wasn't a thing yet. Facebook was. Um, there was some, Greg Plitt, I think, had his his website where you could subscribe and just get information on mm-hmm. things. So I that's what I did first and foremost. I had my yep. stevecookhealth.com. And it was, yeah, I'd get on there. We'd do Q&As. I'd post recipes, workouts. And then it kind of shifted to, okay, Instagram's now a thing. You are getting paid more money by companies that want to sponsor you you are traveling more okay now there's apps mm. now there's you can start your own company so it was it's about being at the right place at the right time um and i know that is you know huge in any industry mm. talk about the computer industry bill gates yep 
you know, Microsoft being, having a passion for something and being in this time in history where we have social media and you're able to then make a business out of it. And so I think nothing I did really, it was just having a passion for something and then being in the right place at the right time. Mm. So it must've been like that. There must've been a tipping point where you're like, fuck, I can go all in on this. I can pursue my passion. Yeah. yeah. It would have been weird to have those conversations, like I guess, with your parents, who would have been like, "What are hey, you man, doing you get to get a fucking job?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had a biology <laughs> psychology degree, and I'm working at a steakhouse. And then I moved to LA, and I'm you know I'm, I'm starting to make a little bit of money from bodybuilding.com and Optimum Nutrition. But in order to truly follow my goals and competing, and I was right on the uh, on the verge of having enough money to quit the the restaurant. But I can still remember like free steak. I, yeah, I was, I, I was traveling. I was, I was getting, I was competing in bodybuilding, working at Texas Roadhouse. And I do remember, you know, I think I got probably a raise from Optimum Nutrition and bodybuilding.com. And I was like, okay, hey, I don't have to work. I can actually go full time now. Now I'm going to start the website. Now I'm going to, and it, it, there is that like initial, like, is this, can I really do this? But I think that it's just having a, a passion kind of just, again, like you said, knowing that if I fail at something, I'll just keep keep doing it, keep doing yeah. it, getting back to the sports analogy, overcome that, and then eventually something will work out. Yeah. You can always go back and work at a restaurant, shit. Yeah, that's it. What's the worst right. that can happen? So I read, and I'm going to quote this, so, going, so I read that, um, obviously you've said in the past that your sort of time in the spotlight has affected sort of body image. So back in the day, you told Men's Health that you went through periods that you didn't necessarily feel perfect. Yeah. Um, and that you obviously, we spoke about before in terms of you would binge eating until you couldn't move at certain stages so you speak about like you know what it's not um you know what it's like to not be happy you know with with what you are but you also said that if you put your self-worth into just the way you look then you know you'll be unhappy so do you still find it daunting or in the in the back or was it more back in the day where you know you felt like you had to keep up a certain image i don't know if that's still the case because you are viewed by so many because i know personally like I can look at myself day to day in the mirror and go, oh, you're not looking good at the moment. But yeah. I am my only scrutiny, just yeah. me, yeah. where you're judged upon how you look by so many people. Is that still a difficult thing to sort of comprehend or manage? I would say it is for anyone in the fitness industry because mm. you represent mm. what you do. And if you aren't at your best, then it seems like your product isn't at its best. But I mean, to each individual in certain you know, percentages or it, it would affect different people differently. I'm I'm not too – I mean, we've spoken about this a lot. Men in the fitness industry, and Steve will talk to it, I'm sure, but there's a different level of standard for men in yeah. the fitness industry mm-hmm. than there is to female and females in the fitness industry. A female can fluctuate and go through all of these different things and it doesn't really affect – I'm sure the pressure is still there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they would have other pressures, definitely. I'm not saying one's completely easier and one's not, but in regards to what you look like, I think it's more socially acceptable for women to fluctuate and for women to come and go in certain phases of their life than it is for men. Men, it's seems like social media wants men to be constant, constantly ripped, constantly jacked, constantly mm, yeah. everything. Well, yeah. To that point, like if you take, if you take, again, when we're talking about markability, women buying products from women, girls aren't going to buy from a girl that looks extreme. 
yep. somebody who's just absolutely shredded um, or super jacked. That, either, either, way of, that, either way of it. That is going to be kind of... Yeah. So women tend to find somebody who they gravitate towards that is attainable, that kind of looks like them. them. Yeah. yeah, Guys, it's like, the, the, on the flip side... Um, and, and 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 even in that speaking with that with women, guys are also attracted to that to that person. Mm. Guys typically aren't attracted to super ripped, super jacked girls. So you have both men and women who really love, uh, I would say, a more attainable body mm. type for women. Yep. Guys, on the other hand, guys will follow and buy from guys that are are, are more jack than mm. and more ripped than than normal. Not not attainable looks. Mm. It's always that. Is that attainable? I don't know if it is. Like, it's, a, it's, it's the yeah. whole concept yeah. of natty or not. Like, yeah, is that yeah, something, yeah. do I have to start taking stuff to look yeah. like that or is that achievable for me? And on the flip side, girls aren't attracted to that. But so on one side, you have both guys and girls that like a certain body type. Mm. On the other side, you have only guys that really want to be yeah. that big and that jacked. I don't think typically a lot of women find That's a, good a big bodybuilder attractive or will buy products from, mm. you know, a big bodybuilder. But I, so I think it is one of those things that at the end of the day, I've always maintained like whatever it is that you want to look like or, or, or achieve, like you have to do it for yourself. Now looks come and go to your point of like, does it ever get to you? You know, it used to be like, I, I it was like an actor. If you told that actor, their performance in that movie was bad and you're a critic yeah. or everyone's like, oh my gosh, that was an awful movie. It would kind of like, yeah. and that was on a smaller scale. It's like, oh my gosh, you look skinny. You look this, you look that. Yeah. I mean, I just posted a, a photo. Like, I always get, no matter what I post, I'm going to get comments yep. on how I'm looking. Oh, you're looking super jacked. You must be on this, this, this. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're super skinny. Do you even work out? <laughs> and so it's like you realize it's within like a week. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. The same photo. And, yeah, exactly. So it, it's one of those things that like I'm I'm never going to make everyone happy. I'm not trying to. Yeah. Like now, it's more about okay. I want I like training X Y Z like this. I also like looking within these parameters. I know I'm not going to live under six percent. If I need to get down to six percent, give me a month and I can yep. do it. Typically. Maybe not right now because Australia has been really good to me. <laughs> um, but but I know I also don't want to live above twelve percent yeah. or eleven. You know, if I can stay right around that ten or eight percent, I can then. That that's kind of a markability area that mm. I can kind of live in and feel good and and not feel like oh my gosh I'm I'm super skinny or super chubby or super you know it, it's kind of an area where I feel comfortable and yeah. I can still be athletic. Because with social media, right? And again, I don't know because I can't really empathize too much just from, even from us being gym owners, right? And we have 250 people in the gym. We feel sometimes that we have to keep up appearances. And I wrote a post about it last week about ego sometimes, how I wouldn't necessarily compete back in the day in the open because I didn't want to be viewed as maybe not as good as what I should have. Yeah. Right? Which is purely ego. It is. Yeah. But to, to these people in here, you're the best CrossFitter yeah, they yeah. know. All of a sudden you go out into the open and you're, you know, Scratching middle the of the surface. middle of the pack with yeah. with some of the best CrossFitters in the world. It, it is people are like, and the, when I do CrossFit, you know, I did a video where I did Fran, mm. and I did it in I don't know what is good three minutes. I think it was three minutes is pretty good. Yeah, so I did it in just under three minutes. Yeah. and everyone's like, you should do the CrossFit Open. I'm like, you guys have no idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you just have no idea. Like yeah. people think that you know things translate over a lot easier, or or they they see me kick a rugby ball or something like you should go play rugby. And it's just like, no, you don't understand that like people specialize in all of these things, but to them, you are this amazing person who's able to do something. They're not. Plus on the back end, right? There's always a perception. People have a perception of, of you, right? At all times, pretty much same as 
us, just people have a perception, which isn't necessarily true, but a lot of the time we act into the perception that we believe that we are perceived. That's tend to be what perception is, right? When realistically, people online have no idea about you, yeah. realistically, or what you do, or where you are in that moment, or anything that's going on sort of, you know, with your health. If you don't post, then people are going to go... Why aren't you posting? People like that's me right now. Yeah. Pe- but people feel like you've yeah, got people think Steve's like you owe them something. Now. off the face of the world. People think like you owe something. Like why aren't you yeah. posting? Yeah. Like I'm here ready to fucking yeah. watch your YouTube Especially and you're not posting YouTube. anything. Yeah. Like what are you doing? What like, am I here so- to watch now? Yeah. Like sort your shit out. It's like or they're like you know I'm not following you. It's like it's not an airport. You don't have to say your departure. Right. Right? Yeah. You can, exactly. You can just go. Yeah. But I think YouTube. Like that's the most hurtful thing in the world now. Yeah. Like I'm unfollowing you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But. One thing, especially about Morgan, because you know you you do quite well at being front facing, but also keeping your private life yeah. fairly private and extent. Like, how hard is that to do? Because with some people online, they share everything, where others, you know, take a step back. Or is it something that you have to do at the beginning, share so much to get a following, and then you can sort of pull back a little bit? Yeah, I I agree. Second point, I think there's a very fine line between sharing everything that you don't have anything to yourself and sharing enough that you capture the audience's attention and they have a general understanding of who you are, what you like, what you do on a day-to-day basis. And then it's, again, it's the maintenance kind of thing. It's the maintenance factor of coming in. The more time I spend on social media, the more private I get because not because of how I've had reacting, like people reacting to my life or react, like it's not the outside influence. It's more so just the fact that, I got over feeling the need to share everything with everyone and always getting out my phone and always saying, oh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm here, I'm attending this. Mm. Instead, I feel, and I'm sure Steve will say the same, but instead if I'm excited about something, if I want to share something, I'll share it. But otherwise I don't feel the need to. It's not mm. a need anymore. It's a want, which is nice. It's a nice position to be in on social media. Gives you the power again. Exactly. It gives me the power and not so much to pick and choose who I want to be perceived as or who I want to be seen, do- what I want to be seen doing, but more so so that I can, again, live somewhat of a normal life where not everyone knows everything that's happening to mm. me. And that's like when I was mentioning before to you guys about, you know, what are, what's going on in our life at the moment, it's it's something that like I wanted to keep that to myself because if anything happens, good or bad, I can deal with that and mm. then I can come back and if I want to share that, I can share it at a later yeah. date. I don't need to share it as it's happening. I don't need to involve under 5 million people about it. Um, and we've had conversations as well about like when we have kids and when we expand on our family, when we buy a house, do we want to be telling people where we're living in the in the US or Australia? Do we want to be telling, showing people our kids all the time? Do we want to be putting them on YouTube, Instagram, whatever? And I think as we get older, we start to get more guidelines between like what we do and don't feel comfortable sharing. Yeah, I, I feel – I probably think about it less – and I probably should think about it more, but to me, it's just like, if I just I- think it, like the only thing, sorry, I'm cutting in. The only thing is that I've just seen more and more stuff on like TikTok and Facebook and stuff of privacy breaching and of people's houses getting knocked into of mm-hmm. kids's uh, people's kids getting saved onto, you know, online websites, like videos of little kids, you know, doing the most mundane things, getting put on these weird websites. Mm-hmm. Like that's yeah. the stuff that I'm just like, we don't even know how whack this whole, you know, internet and stuff is. And I no, don't want to feed true. into that further. 
I do think, but I, I also, I, I never liked the idea of living in fear of not doing something yeah. that I want to do because I'm worried about what somebody else is going to do. Like, I think that ultimately when you have kids, that's probably a different, a whole different thing. I might change my view on that. But like, for me, like I, I've been fortunate enough to, I feel like to never have super bad experiences with that. And I, I just share what I want to. And if I don't feel like sharing, I haven't. And, and I think that there's influencers, we'll call them influencers. That's kind of like a dirty word to me. Like, I just don't like the word. <laughs> we'll influencer. call them influence people that, you know, in the fitness industry that the reason I liked expos because you actually get a real sense of who, yeah. who someone is. Yeah. There's you can't people, fake no. 10 yeah. hours on a stand. There's people that I think that they've curated their brand online, become across as a certain way and, mm. and smart for them, but it's not really authentic. Yeah. And, and I wonder, do they feel at odds with themselves? And I think that that was probably one of the things for me during COVID. I was pretty outspoken on how ridiculous I thought lockdowns and, and, and it really was polarizing. Mm. It, it was really something that people that I was friends with or brands um, felt uneasy yeah. about. And the kind of, was the first time in my social media career that I was like, do I post this or do I not? It's how I feel. Mm -hmm. Do I not post it though? Because of how it's going to make other people, because it is tough. That's the, the, that's the hard part is we could sit down and have a a conversation now about COVID and have it be pretty, you know, neutral. Yeah. Yeah. We could, we could talk about everything and, and, but when you're 180 characters on Twitter, you really can't. Yeah. And that's the tough thing is you're never going to change someone's mind on social media. And ah. it's, and it's, so it's like, okay, how do I, I don't necessarily want to be an activist yeah. or I don't want to talk every day about how masks are ridiculous, the basic ones that nobody's really mm-hmm. wearing properly and this and that. But at the same time, like, I don't want to, so I don't want to necessarily be that person who's you know, planting my flag and being like, this is, but at the same time, when I see a world that I feel like is like, I feel like I'm on crazy pills. Yeah. Cause I'm like, how is it, how is this making sense to people? And I just remember, um, you know, especially with Australia arguing with people like that, cause Australia was locked down for so long and this and that. And America was viewed as this place where everyone was just dying from COVID and it just wasn't the case. And so I think the tough thing I, that I saw was the media really, I felt like was, was, Doing whatever they wanted to do. Yeah. Manipulating. Pushing whatever gender they It's like so dichotomous right online. It's like there's yes. either yes or no. There's yes. no like nuance. There's no like in between. Because I remember even during COVID, like especially the American press, they'd be like, Australia's like a prison. And I'm like yeah. walking around going, is right. it? I think. Right. Yeah. yeah. And every like, Australian I'm, was doing yeah, that. I'm Everyone like, was like, like, oh. oh and, I, and it's so funny because on two fronts, I, I, I feel like I'm always defending Australia to Americans <laughs> and, and vice versa. I feel like I'm always in the wrong with that because I'm like, oh, Australia's not really like that. Yeah, yeah. But people like, Do you, like, I'd be like, I'm thinking about moving to Australia. People are like, oh, they're like communists there. Prison. Yeah. Like, they're, they're like, you could, there's no guns. There's, they, they do whatever they want during COVID. I'm like, there were areas. Melbourne was Melbourne a tough was area. Bad, yeah. Yeah. Areas in Sydney where, you know, like I know I have friends there that couldn't leave the mm. 5K. Like things like that blow my mind because mm. I'm like, I am, but I can remember people that I really respected and really liked um, and and just being like, how are you thinking like that? And I know they were probably thinking the same thing yeah. about me. It was actually over um, the event where the guy, I think, punched a horse in Sydney. Yeah. You guys remember that? <laughs> yeah. Really it didn't, didn't punch, actually punch Really the didn't horse. punch the horse, but Such again- if you could sit down and talk about yeah, it, yeah. it's like, okay, like, why are they there? But I just remember it was very polarizing yeah. and it was like you either. And and that's the world we're living in right now. And it does make social media kind of like 
do I really, I think I've taken a step back yeah. with all the, that that's happened. And I've shared less because I'm like, maybe what I believe isn't what everyone else believes. And I don't want to sit here and either argue or make someone try to change their mind. Yeah, it's, it's difficult. And with social media, obviously, I think we've been a little bit negative on it a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Like from your job being sort of content creation or social media or what is like a part of your job, obviously yeah. you have other businesses and that. But obviously there's so many positives that, have come from it. Do you know what I mean? Like working for things like Gymshark, traveling the world, meeting each other. Did you meet in an event in Sydney? Yeah, we did. Which you possibly wouldn't have done if you didn't necessarily, you know, start these lives and you've obviously got really successful brands, which we'll touch on in the sort of the next section. Biggest loser I want to talk about yeah. a little bit because to me back in the day, like I loved it. It was like, huge. It, me it too. Was, it was Growing so up, big. I used to love watching Biggest Loser. Yeah. And I never watched it, so that's funny. <laughs> no, I didn't. Yeah, it, it was, yeah, I don't know. I yeah, was always it was into fun. it, so yeah. I was always like, this is cool. Yeah. yeah. What was that like to sort of get that invite on or did you not feel it because you necessarily weren't a fan of it? I was so... It, have, it was big in America though too. It, right? it was, everyone knew of it. Mm. I had never watched the season. I'd seen an episode here or there. I was kind of the school of thought though. It was just a place where these trainers were yelling at overweight people mm. and it was pretty nasty. Mm. That was my kind of view. I was like, yeah, yeah. I knew Jillian Michaels. Um, and I knew again, like that TV was, you wanted to be this heightened version of yourself. It was at the same time that reality TV was big. So these polarizing figures, like the more extreme you could be, the better. I didn't know how she was For in TV. real life. I just yeah. know that TV portrayed her. So I was kind of hesitant. I did like four, I, I went out to California like four different times and auditioned and did this and that. And the whole time I was like, do I really want to do yeah. this? Do I not? Like I, the TV aspect kind of turned me off of it. I like the idea of actually training people hands-on again mm. and working with people. And it was something different. Like I was done competing. I was kind of like, okay, this is, this could be something that's new. That's fun. Um, that, that being said, TV is tough. We had 150 people on set every single day. Okay. Yeah. You, it's, it's a slow moving, like you, you show up, there's hair and makeup. I can't see my contestants because they don't want things happening off of camera. Yeah. And it's like, okay. Everyone needs to be ready to, to capture everything. Possible. Right. And so I was like, okay, we, there were supposed to be ghost trainers too. Like I could tell my assistant trainer, I can't see them because they want to get it on film. Go make sure they're doing this, this, and this. They're getting their steps in or they're... Mm. But if you tell me that I can't see them, I only get them for four hours of the day. Yeah. How are we really supposed to be making sure that they're they're getting A, the education they need? They did a good job with the fact that... So that was my biggest issue. There wasn't... I wanted better care for the contestants there. Because they, they, they were in their houses. They're, they're, they were pretty much locked down. They could take walks and things like that. They had no phone. They could watch TV. Uh, they couldn't. I don't know if they could watch the news. They had like games, books. Yeah, but it would have been horrendous for them. And I'm like, area. and I'm like, if I could go spend time with them. Um, but again, it's like they wanted our first meeting. They wanted big things all to happen on camera, which is again for TV. I get the point. Yeah. But when you're actually worrying about people's health and safety, you want to have more of a hands-on approach. That being said, they did a really good job with every week. There was blood work with a doctor. Oh, yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah, like um, actual medical component. Of yeah, it. the they show was really different well. in that, like, they didn't want, you know, it's tough because you're always at this juxtaposition of it's the show's about weight loss, but you want to do it healthy. Well, you're always going to blur those lines. I will say that the contestants on that show, do I think that they were better for going? That's always kind of how I, mm. I come back to it. Were they better for going on The Biggest Loser? And I say yes, because at the end of the day, they learned what they needed to learn from. They, they had every week, you know, a lot of them would go to a psychologist, deal with yeah. why a lot of the traumatic things in their life, and then also how to eat properly, how to cook, 
Um, what is training? Like, you know, a lot of them had so many misconceptions about training and eating that it was like, we need a whole paradigm shift on this. So. Especially how they don't show that because that is the, that yeah. is the coaching aspect to it. Right? And I, so I, I'm, I kind of maintain to this day, like you give me like a three or four person team and let me do a YouTube yeah. series on it and we would get a cooler show. I wanna, not, not to say it wasn't cool, but... Ask about the weigh-ins. Yep. Because they've got to be bullshit, right? Because, well, in aspect of like, hey, this guy's lost 14 kilos this week. And then he weighs in the next time. He's like, he's gained a pound. It's like, oh, that yeah. can't, that surely, are they weighing in weekly or are they weighing in like one day is like weighing in and then like they're weighing in like the day later? Yeah, or two no, days no, later. no, it, w- it wouldn't be. So on, on my season, I can't speak to the other seasons. They would always be between six and eight days apart. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it was a week. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, I don't know. Again, like, if was it always in the morning time? I never actually saw them weigh in, weigh in. Yeah. Right. I, I I never saw them get down in their underwear, step on a scale. The show was in charge of that. Yeah. And then we would see the number but pop up, but they they didn't want us to know because they wanted our reaction when we see, see that number on the screen. Yeah. Um. So again, I I don't know, and, and they always made sure that. Everyone had to be a certain level of hydrated. Like they didn't want people to dehydrate for, yeah, okay. for weigh-ins and things like that. Is there a certain amount of gaming that went on? I would say not as much in other seasons, but I'm sure people tried. They they had to eat too. Like the nutritionist yeah. that was there, they made sure that they had a meal plan that they were following. And if they didn't eat, there was people watching that would be like, hey, they're, you haven't they're, eaten they're, this they're, meal today. Yeah, they're, 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 they're starving themselves type of a thing. So yeah. that was why we probably didn't see crazy overall compared to some other seasons. But yeah, some of them were, yeah. Yeah, but like Jim, the guy who won, every single week, he was killing it. He was dedicated eight. though. He was going hard at training. And he was an athlete. Yeah. He yeah. was a he was an athlete that <laughs> over having kids and, you know, 45 plus years of in his life, he'd gained a lot of weight. So he knew what it took to push him. Those were the types of people that I found it easiest to lose yeah. weight. People that have, have been fit before. It's the people that have been overweight their entire life that don't know how to yeah. really push themselves yeah. that I found um, they just couldn't mentally go there. Interesting. I've always wanted to ask yeah. that. That was yeah. cool. <laughs> but I, I do think, so the one that stands out to me um, is is Dolores when she 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 gained a pound um, on her peak week on her week and it, it there was, was talk her, her, but there was like, talks about like week. menstruating yeah, yeah there was talks about and and for girls obviously that's going to be play a, a, more of a role that, than guys but she also that week went really hard too like. So I wonder how much cortisol, yeah. like how much could she be yeah, retaining weight, more yeah, water? Yeah. Um, so again, it, it, it's really hard to, at the end of the day, to be like, okay, you're going home, but you worked your butt off. That was the hardest week for me. That and when Rob went home. Week one, I had a guy that went home that actually had great weight loss, but because he was so heavy to start out with. Yeah. Oh, um, his percentage was, percentage was low. Yeah, his yeah. percentage. And so, and so it, it, it is, it was interesting. Who actually so. ended up losing a lot of weight off the show. Yeah, no, he's... That's good. Which yeah. is the goal, right? Yeah. If you continue to what yeah. you do. And that's the thing. And a this, lot of them have. Yeah. But it's no different real life versus that show. 50% of people gain the weight back mm. on any diet and you're going to get the same. It's just, you, you can't, you can give them all the tools. They have access to gyms, um, personal trainers for, I think for, for a year, making sure they have um, even support groups and things like that. But the stats just tell us 50% of people on average will gain the weight back. I think of a lot of Australian ones. They actually became coaches and things like that. I think that's know, the like best way. Like that's, that's, yeah. Cause they get, obviously they've got, 
a name already. Yeah. And they've done it and they've been through it. And, and the people that are usually passionate about it mm. are the ones that are going to succeed and they're going to be the ones mm. to share it with people. Well, same. they find that passion in that yes. moment, right? Yes. When yes. it's like, well, fucking go for it. And mm. it's the same even, you know, a lot of times with like people who are ex, you know, addicts, mm. people that are, that have some drug addiction, they go on to be counselors and they, yeah. and they always kind of surround themselves every day. It's a reminder of what your life could be like. If you go yeah. back to that, yeah. empathy, that's a very right? powerful thing. They can have that empathy. Yes. So from our standpoint, you can understand the science behind it and coaching, yeah. but you can never truly understand it. Yeah. I always talk about the menstrual cycle in this aspect, right? I know everything about menstrual cycle. Yeah. I, can, I can never go. I know what you're feeling. <laughs> Don't worry. I've got you. Well, it's like a coach. You, I think the best coaches are the ones that have either done it, done it or done something like it before and have the education behind them it's a combination of both you can't just have an educated coach and you can't just have an experienced coach it it has to be a combination of both yeah an evidence-based coach makes up you know they understand literature to some extent and they've got mass experience so it's clear to say that you both sort of value health and fitness and it's played a sort of huge role in your lives and it's probably why you're sort of so connected now so what would you say are some of the other values that help you both thrive personally and then professionally and then we'll get into sort of the professional side of things because obviously you have now Apollo and Sage yeah. as a, as a business. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know if me and my wife were to go into business, I'm like, oh, I don't know if it would work very well. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're, there's a lot of, there's a lot of opposites as well. Yeah. I, I'll definitely say this. Morgan is definitely more of the Apollo and Sage. Like I do the guys, we have three, like right now we have three new prints coming out. Like my, my scope with Apollo and Sage, Morgan does a lot more of the, the day to day running of the business. I'll design the shorts and okay things. And, but Morgan scheduling photo shoots and things like that. And that's because at the end of the day, I don't want a power struggle for, yep. for things. Like I think very early on, we both are, I would say Morgan's probably more type A, but um, I think that I, I would rather just be like, Hey, this is, this is, we kind of created it because she had such a passion for swimsuits. Mm. I, I love my men's board shorts, obviously with men's yep. physique and things like that. Um, but I want to grow and expand it on the guy side. And I think Morgan, she's more, much more passionate about, and most of our products, when we just look at the number of SKUs, are women. Yeah. So. Mm. Well, more but, in terms of like, we, we say, do, we do clash. Like it's, it's not a, it's not a relationship or a partnership, business partnership that doesn't clash. We definitely clash, but, um, and even like speaking on that, our age gap, like we clash quite a lot because of different things but it's the communication that it doesn't really nothing ever overrides the communication mm. and that's that's what just makes it you know yeah. we learn and we just grow from that i think that's speaking like we did a pre-marriage counseling, counseling before session. before like a, we got engaged and things like that and i think it, it kind of it comes down to communicating i think so many people don't communicate well and mm. if to me it's like okay if this is going to be if this is just something that's bothering me and i know i'm going to get over it by the end of the night Probably not worth talking about it. Yeah. If it's going to bother me tomorrow, next week, worth bringing it up. Yeah. And it's how I bring it up. Because I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, I think learning from Morgan, it's it's how I sometimes can bring things up. I think yeah. as men we, who've been with, with, with girls, sometimes we communicate differently as men. And But I think one thing that we both really do well is we can both get in an argument Five minutes later, we moved on. We're yeah. going towards, we're, we're moving because forward. Yeah, because of that concept of like neither of us really are, usually it's we have enough concept of knowing that is this really something we're arguing about or is it just something that's we've spent too much time together or 
um, I'm actually thinking about something that I'm annoyed about and I'm projecting onto him yeah. or he's yep. projecting onto me because his golf game was bad yesterday at Brookvale or <laughs> whatever it is. Brookwater. Uh, Brookwater. <laughs> I just put that in there for shits and gigs. Um, but it's, yeah, the... I mean, to be honest, I've never communicated this much with anyone in my life yep. until yeah. I met Steve and it was a big thing of his. So now I've incorporated that into my life and how I communicate and that's what works for us. Like that's what we've found works for us because I usually if I had a problem, I'd just kind of keep it mm-hmm. and then it brews yep. and it's yeah. like everyone, you know, and then all of a sudden you just lash out and you don't even know why you're lashing out. But then you're like, well, two weeks ago, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and that gets back to <laughs> – environmental and genetic too. Yeah. Like yeah. naturally I think uh, my dad there's a genetic component like communicating talking that's why eventually I want to do all the time. I want to do a podcast <laughs> like I'll just yeah just open talk about what I'm thinking what I'm feeling if something's bothering me yep. and I think that and my dad gr- complete opposite yeah. never talk about what he's thinking about what's bothering him yeah it's true um, yeah, it's um, what, what we grow up with you know and seeing our parents communicate and seeing yeah. how they deal with things and then projecting that into our own relationship and yeah. thinking that's how it's done and it has to be an element of challenge right between Definitely. each other because yeah. that's where the majority of growth is right most of your sort of tipping points where you're like fuck they're like your biggest stress points yeah. and then over the other side of that there's it's good I think one growth. of the biggest thing me and James are pretty much married because we spend more time together than we do with our wives but I business think, partners are just as oh, entwined as oh, man, yes. one of the best things we did and I didn't realise it was going to be so hard was working at our our sort of values as a as a business mm-hmm. we ended up settling on integrity progress and happiness and working out like what it means to us and what it doesn't mean yeah. and we've used it to guide like all our decisions within the gym and it was such a like game changer for us even the way we sort of communicate to each other and we make decisions we sit down it's like is it affecting this does mm. are we aligning with our values mm. yeah but it was such a power yeah mm. powerful thing for us it took a lot it took a really long it took us about six months to figure them out i love that and i think that's are. probably something that i need to do a better job of we'll call them boundaries like you know where where like you know like what are we willing and not willing to, and not just i'm saying in business too i think it's one of those things that um i that's not an area that I, I would say I'm super strong at is, is sitting down and formulating like on paper where we want to go destination. Mm-hmm. I, I love mm-hmm. the content. I love, I love doing, um, and I think that's probably what's been most hard about the last two years with COVID and her not getting into the U S and vice versa is like, we've had no kind of routine in life where yeah. we can be like, Hey, in six months, where do we want to be? Mm. Six we months. I don't. No yeah. <laughs> uh, we're gonna be in Australia. We're gonna be yeah. in the U.S. You asked us so, yeah. that at the start of 2020. We would have said the U.S. Yeah. We yeah. saw you just before you left. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Ju- yeah. Literally the week before you left. Yeah. Yeah. But and that purpose. So like having that purpose, you can always come back to that that, that defining mm. those things that define you, and that's going. You have that purpose, and yeah. I think that that's what I've learned. What I've kind of taken from all of this is if you don't have a purpose in your mm. life. It just feels like you're kind of treading water and just yeah, barely keeping yeah. your head. If you can, you know, man search for meaning. Like when you have a purpose, yeah. that's a massive thing. You can almost endure anything. And I think that's why we've been able to endure with three years of her being gone out of the U S and COVID is because like our purpose, we know, we know we want to be together. Yeah. So. Yeah. And again, even with business, like, you know, you know, the overall goal is to, well, for the majority of it is with all our business is to help as many people as possible. Right. And the overall arching yeah. thing. Right. And yeah. obviously that, with your growth that gives you the ability to help more people. You said you used to do in-person PT. We've sort of felt with it because we used to coach every time. And then it was like, every time we stopped coaching, people would go, 
you can't do this. Yeah. But then now we're not coaching anymore. Like we can help so many more yeah. people, like mm-hmm. so many more people. And yeah. that'll just keep on compound. a bigger scale. Yeah. yeah then you ha- hire people that work for you. Then, then they go and help their yep. people. And it's that sort of huge compound. And just effect, pushing right? those values. Like you guys said, your three values of integrity, happiness, progress. Ha- yeah. Progress. Yeah. And everything else has to align with that. Yeah. Like everything. You said something about there's always two options. I say this a lot. So when I heard it, I was like, in situations, there's two options. I think you said put up or shut up, which no. I quite <laughs> like. So I might take that one. Do you know what I mean? Where obviously you're now fighting for sort of the next stage in your life so you can sort of develop. But it's been a cut tough few yeah. years, realistically, mm-hmm. where you've got your businesses in America. Like you've got Fitness Culture, right, yeah. which is an app, which is a phenomenal app as well. So you've got your, your gyms, you've got your supplement companies. Obviously, you do all your workshops and things mm-hmm. here. You've got Apollo and Sage. Surely you can just nearly see enough the light to go like, we're nearly there. Like, And all this sort of story that's been for like this last couple of years will just be a fucking story one day to be like, holy <laughs> shit, man. Like we did yeah. it. And and I think that there's things that you know I'll, I'll, like this morning I've been up since three this morning because I just woke up with things on my mind that mm-hmm. I'm like I need to do this this and this and I'm and it's it's those kind of things that that when I wake up at that time because I'm unable to control those things in my life right now like I would love the fact if if we were able to be you know in Utah and and you know the gym needs my attention for some things the app definitely needs my attention. And balance is one of those tricky things that it's like, sometimes it's just about giving attention to what needs your attention Mm -hmm. then, knowing that down the line, by doing that, you'll free up more time. To work back to that. And that's always been the hardest, that that word balance throughout my fitness career, people always are talking about like, how do you balance this and this and this? And and sometimes just the answer to that is is like, at this point in my life, focusing on XYZ is the best I can do. And that's going to pay off huge in the long run. And I think that this has been the first time for me in 10 years that it's been more of a personal thing. I'm focusing on my personal relationship with who I want to be with. And and then I can envision in six months, hopefully, knock on wood, we're at a very different place where we have set up a, a base where we're able to function properly. Because right now we're just yeah. crisis management, basically. And that, that just beats you up and wears you out. And, and I can honestly say, but again, I, I reassure myself saying it's not going to be like that forever. Yeah. But then at the other, you've got everyone we spoke about on the last podcast, Morgan, mm-hmm. where you've got everyone. Oh, yeah, but you're so lucky because you get to just travel everywhere yeah. and like you get to get everything. It's like this, I don't fucking want that. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I, mean? like, I don't yeah. want that. I want well, what you've got. I, yeah, I, I think I've spent. I've definitely spent more. More. Steve, Steve hates traveling right yeah. now. Right now, well, it's because I've 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 spent nearly. 60 70 percent of the last three years living out of a suitcase yeah so yeah, it's like if, if you were yeah if you I'd were say, to, i'd say more 70 80 yeah yeah in the past I, year he's been home for like and I've, two I've, months you know i sold my house that i really loved in saint george because i thought we were going to be able to buy and build something that was three years ago and and, and again i don't want to play this this fiddle here but again i think me moving <clears throat> into 2023 it's like okay you've experienced some some setbacks getting back to empathy you can now empathize with people that are going through things because up until this point, for the most part, like it's been smooth sailing in a lot of ways. Like inevitably we all have adversity in our life. It could be, you know, my friends, they had, their child had cancer. Like mm-hmm. hopefully that's as bad as it gets, mm-hmm. but something like, Hey, you're at, you're at odds with, with the world right now with COVID with two, 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 two different continents. Like how, how do you, how do you respond to that? And, 
I think ultimately it's like, okay, I can't change things. Well, all I can do is play on the cards I was dealt. And one of the, my favorite quotes is life is 90% how you react to things. 10% life is 10%. Well, what happens ninety percent yep. of how you react? Yeah, and I think that that's hard. It's a hard, hard thing to to live by. But there are days where I'm just like, goodness gracious, I'm so ready to 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 be over this. I can imagine. All right, finishing question. All right, to those listening that want to be the next Steve Cook or the next sort of Morgan, what would you say to them, knowing what you know now? Because you two obviously didn't start out doing what you're doing, thinking that you would be where you are. But there is a lot of people starting out now with the objective to be just that. Yeah. I actually think if your objective is to be, I don't think success on social media comes to people that are trying to be successful on social media. Mm. I think it falls into people's laps in a combination of them being authentic, of them being passionate about whatever it is that they're sharing. And I think anyone on social media will tell you that because people don't just gain followers because they're so badly wanting followers. It's just not how it works. Mm. I feel like it's, it's one of those things where it's just, you got to, you got to commit to what you're passionate about. You got to commit to what you want to do for you or for your 4,000 followers. Mm. And that's what all, that's what will help you grow. That's what will push it. Yeah. I, and mine's really kind of like a three-part thing. First, I think is just be very clear on what you want. Be very clear on not just a goal, but like your systems, like mm. what, what it is that you want your day-to-day to look like. Um, what are you, you know, what are you passionate about? Very, getting very clear on, on if it's somebody that you aspire to study what they're doing. Um, and then realizing that you got to enjoy the journey, whether it's a bodybuilding show or, and I always would say this, like, Sometimes the most depressing days were the day after the bodybuilding show. I'd have my, my first place trophy and I had a box of 13 donuts and I was so depressed. The show's over. I have no goal. I'm here. I feel awful in this moment. I felt better, you know, every single day doing something leading up to it. But again, it's like, so it's not the trophy that you feel good. It's the journey. And that's with fitness. So many people are like, I'll be happy when I lose this weight or I'll be happy when I get this PR. And it's like, if you just don't find happiness coming to the gym, doing this, the struggle every single day, it could be in business, it could be in life. Like you're going to get to wherever you're at and you're just going to want to climb a higher mountain. So it's, it's, not the, it's not the destination that'll ever matter. Mm. It's just being happy with, with that day-to-day, you know, doing whatever it is that you truly love. Um, and then the last thing I think would be like, if whatever it is that you're passionate about, like have big, scary goals that, that you could potentially fail. Or like, even in, I, I think about my business, like there was things that I was passionate about. Soldier Nation was probably one of them. I should have taken that. And, and I still think about this running with that a little bit more, having fun mm. with it, creating a clothing line with it, um, doing something that, that because I, I liked it and I was passionate about it, I sometimes listened to other people and didn't do it because it was cheesy or this. And, and maybe that's a bad example. But if there is, if there, you know, I, I gave a lot of time and energy and effort um, to things that other people owned and ran. Yeah. And like I should have been building something that I was truly passionate about. And I think for that, you. Yeah. Something that, that is yours at the end of the day. And I think it's more, we've talked about this, that imposter syndrome. I think mm-hmm. that I definitely still to this day, I'm kind of like, ah, I'm not as, you know, I'm not as knowledgeable as so-and-so or mm-hmm. I'm not this and that. And it's like, hey, stop looking what you don't have. Look at what you have yep. and believe in yourself that you can go create that. You're going to fall down. You're going to fail. You're going to keep, keep failing. But eventually, if you yeah. keep on doing it, you'll find success in that. It's going to suck. It's going to be hard work. It's going to be a lot of, and I think that, 
that that is what I would tell my younger self is like, hey, that thing you want to do, that thing that you're kind of scared about, do it. Do it and, 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 and be bad at it for a year. But eventually you're going to get proficient enough. Man, you got me all jacked up now. <laughs> I'm fucking hyped. <laughs> Let's work out. <laughs> awesome. I just want to thank you again for yeah coming on. We appreciate it. I know your time is limited before you head back. So we're super glad we pushed to get it get done. <laughs> and I want to thank you more for making it happen. No, thank you, you Steve, so for, for coming. And Lulu Thanks for crushing yeah. yeah, and your dog. Lulu, you were a good girl. And your dog for being quiet the whole time. You want to go to the beach sweetie. now? I was ready for box. But again, thank you very much mm. and all the thank best you on your next step. Thank Appreciate you. it. Thanks, guys.